Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I invite you to follow along with me. If you don't have your own copy of scripture, it can be found on page 906 in the Bibles in the pew. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon and Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So there's this great scene in the other Gospels where Jesus and the disciples get into a couple boats and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. You probably remember this. And suddenly a storm comes up, which is characteristic of the Sea of Galilee, apparently, because it's below sea level and there are a lot of downdrafts. You don't see this coming, you're 15 minutes in, here comes a fresh storm, and that happened, and Jesus is taking a nap in the stern of the boat on a cushion. When the rain starts coming, and the winds are howling, and the water's coming into the boat, and the other, you know, the disciples are bailing, they're, they're bailing water already, I mean, we can safely assume that, right? And, and somebody says, will you wake him up? Master, we're perishing, what are you doing? Sleeping back there. We're in the middle of a storm. We're about to, this is serious business. And um, here's what Mark chapter 4 says. 
Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind. Who rebukes the wind? Like, we live, we've never lived in a windy city before Roanoke, but it's fairly windy seasonally here, right? Like, even dangerously windy sometimes. Have you, have you ever rebuked the wind? How did that go for you? <laughs> Seriously, who rebukes the wind? He rebuked the wind, and the sea began to calm. Christians believe that that really happened, that it was the miraculous power of the Son of God to say to the Sea of Galilee, peace, be still. And it happened. He, he does not promise, Jesus does not promise to calm all of the storms on the outside. We don't have any promise like that in Scripture that Jesus will surely and certainly calm every one of your physical storms that you might engage in, like stuck in a tornado or in a hailstorm. He, he doesn't promise that. Um, the psalmist even writes a psalm about the storm to encourage us that the sovereignty of God is still at work. But he does promise to calm the storms on the inside. He always promises to calm the storms, to say to you, peace, be still. You know, we're entering this Advent season, and today we're thinking about peace. Let me ask you this. What is driving your anxiety these days? It's not the same thing that was affecting you 10 years ago, but something's driving your anxiety these days. What is it? What's agitating you? Is there a person in your life who can't do anything right? Or is it the empty checking account, living from paycheck to paycheck and just being anxious about it? Or you might be living under someone else's suffocating expectations of you. Or you could be putting so much pressure on yourself to succeed at work that you're starting to feel that stress accumulate in your body. And your physicians are telling you that. This is probably stress-connected. What, what is it that's, who or what is keeping you from wholeness and happiness and a sense of peace, a deep sense of abiding peace? Listen, the resurrected Son of God, the resurrected Son of God wants to speak peace be still into your life this morning. He wants you to hear those words. Peace. Be still. It reminds me of that great line in Augustine's Confessions early on where he says, our hearts are restless. They're, they're just restless. They're agitated. They're, they're in this constant state of foment until they find their rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they meet Christ, until we hear and really believe, peace, be still. Stop striving. Today's passage shows us that Jesus has the power to say, peace, be still, and to rebuke the wind and the storm that comes in the form of your greatest fears. Much like he rebuked the wind on that day, 
And there are three things I want to draw out of this text. And we're going to pick up in verse 19. We haven't read this part yet. We're going to read it in just a second. But we, the preview to it is really important because he's the resurrected son of God now. Peter and John have seen him. Mary Magdalene has seen him. The rest of the disciples have not yet seen him. But he's the resurrected son of God speaking peace into this moment. So I want you to see three things. He speaks peace into the fear of man, into the fear of failure, and to the fear of calling. Fear of man, fear of failure, and fear of calling. Look at verse 19 and pick up with me there where it says on the evening of that day. So this is Resurrection Sunday, evening of Resurrection, Re- Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now the rest of the disciples have, word is circulating, but they have not heard from Jesus yet. So Peter and James, I'm sorry, Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene have seen, um, and they know, they know the tomb, they know the tomb is empty. Mary Magdalene has seen the Lord, and now on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors are locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, and Jesus shows up in the room. Now, throughout Christian history, we have understood this to mean that he miraculously appeared. Sometimes in a post-modern scientific era, people will explain this away. I think John wants very clearly for you to see the doors are locked, Jesus was not in the room, now he's in the room. We don't know how. And here's the, here's the key phrase. The doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The Sanhedrin were a powerful group of men. They were supposed to be upright and godly, but most of them were anything but upright and godly. They had just made sure that an innocent man who Uh, would be mocked and humiliated, brutally abused and crucified. Humanly speaking, you should fear the Sanhedrin. So they do the right thing. Having identified with Jesus, they're in a room and the doors are locked and they're experiencing fear. So, So here they are. Jesus shows up into the room, miraculously appearing, and he speaks these words to them. In the midst of their fear, what does he say? Peace. Verse 19, peace be on you. Peace be yours. Let me bring this forward to the present day, since most of you don't live in the fear of the Jews behind locked doors, but we often do live in fear, don't we? Sometimes that fear is healthy, like when Vince and Kara were right to check their new house uh, seven, ten, uh, two weeks ago, however long, it was, a few days back, when the uh, threatening active shooter was at large in the Grandin and Raleigh Court area, they checked their house because their vacant house would have been a good place for him to occupy. Thankfully, he was not there. That's probably wise to have checked that. Sometimes there's a healthy fear, but it's so easy for that healthy sense of fear to go bad and to cripple us and to paralyze us to live under the constant threat of an active shooter. And that's why Pastor Kerry keeps reminding us and our security team that we are a people of faith, not of what? Fear. We are a people of faith, not of fear. We believe in the sovereignty of God, which frees us to welcome the stranger and to help people and to take sometimes risk by reaching out to people. 
because we're not going to live under fear. We can't live in that. It's a, a testimony that we don't trust and believe in the sovereignty of God. Live that way. I should also add, though, that there must be a thousand other ways far more likely to hit you this week than an active shooter. And that would be subtle ways, subtle ways where you would live, subtle ways where you and I are living under the fear of man. Let me give you a few examples of the way that we live under the crippling power of the fear of man. Let me give you a few examples. Lighten it up just a little bit. Your new haircut and style did not go well. So you actually consider not going to church that Sunday. You really play that out in your mind. What is that? They say, that's vanity, that's this, that. It's the fear of man. Or you're new to a Bible study class and you don't talk because people might ask you questions and when they keep asking you questions, they might find out that you didn't graduate from college and you might wonder whether or not at that moment they're gonna measure you by that standard and think less of you. So you don't talk. You don't open yourself up to the vulnerability of true relationships where people trust one another. Or the other problem could be the case where you just talk too much. You can't stop talking. You're just, constant, just constantly saying stuff. And, and you're, the reason you're doing that is because you're constantly trying to be in control of the situation. And, and, and you, you just, you, you're qualifying things and you're justifying things and you're talking about And just one thing after a while. And what happens over time is you talk, 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 talk. You send this message that I am really needy. And people distance themselves from you. Because people don't want that. And so these constant effort to justify myself in this relentless cycle of chattiness and not being able to stop talking, it could be driven by the fear of a moment of quietness with another person. See, there are like a million ways that you can live, just keep rolling these out under the fear of man. Uh, Paul Tripp in his excellent devotion called A Shelter in the Time of Storm has this great little riff that he does on Psalm 27.1. Some of you know Psalm 27.1. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Here's what Paul Tripp says. This is so good. I'm not afraid. But it's not because I'm strong or wise. I'm not afraid, but it's not because I have power or position. I'm not afraid, but it's not because I have wealth. I'm not afraid for one glorious reason. In the darkness of this fallen world, the Lord is my light and my salvation. This one amazing reality brings me rest. It brings me peace. Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, speaks powerfully into this Fear of the Jews moment, this fear of man moment that you and I are constantly living in down here. And he says, peace, find peace in me. I will free you. I will free you from this fear of, the, of, of man. Peace be upon you. Here's the second thing. 
he speaks peace into their fear of failure. I hadn't thought about it really like, like it this until today, but these may be two of the most incredibly practical fears that you live with, the fear of man and the fear of failure. Jesus speaks peace into this moment, this fear of failure moment that they are in the midst of. Now think about this. Think about the last three days, where we are in John's gospel. For the last three days, what's been happening? Where has everyone been? The disciples must be feeling in this moment when Jesus shows up into the room, they must be feeling a fear, of, feeling a sense of, of failure toward Jesus, like they deserted him. What's he going to say to us? The very moment when Jesus needed them most, the very moment when Jesus needed them most, they fled the scene, either prior to or during the crucifixion. They all scattered. In fact, John, in John chapter 16, Jesus himself said, there's going to come an hour when you're going to leave me alone. You'll be scattered, each to your own home, and I will be alone. I'll be, I will be alone. What was he talking about? He was talking about the cross. He spoke of that. Or worse, not just fleeing, denying Christ. Three times, Peter, in a moment of weakness, cascading moments of weakness, he says, I, I don't know him. He denies Jesus. What were they thinking? What were they feeling? As I read the passage, like one of the things that comes out of this text for me is that Jesus has deliberately stepped back into their world. He doesn't have to, but he does. He deliberately steps back into their world prior to his ascension to speak peace and hope into their utter, this moment of utter failure. They're in a room hiding from the Jews. What's he going to say to us? What's the first word he's going to speak to us? Have you ever disappointed somebody? You were sure you disappointed them, and it was somebody you really looked up to. You disappointed them, and then here comes this moment of, what are they going to say to me? What's the first word that's going to be out? Like, what are they going to say? What does Jesus say? In this moment of fear and failure, Jesus says, peace on you. I want you to experience my peace. That's powerful. I think the natural reading of the text is that the disciples gathered here, as verse 19 describes it, are the original 12, minus Judas and minus Thomas because he hasn't showed up on the scene yet. So to this first gathering of the disciples, to the first Sunday night gathering of the new covenant community who are feeling the combined weight of their failure, Jesus says to them, peace, shalom, aleichem, peace on you. May peace characterize your heart and soul right now. This is way more than a common greeting. Yes, peace be upon you was a characteristically common Hebrew greeting and you would hear it a thousand times a day if you stayed in the marketplace. But this is way more than common grace happening right here. 
We know that because in verse 20, he shows them his hands and his side. We know this because in verse 21, he speaks it again in connection to what's about to happen. This is way more than a common greeting. Eight days later, he'll say the same thing in verse 26 to to the, to the disciples as they gather again, peace. Look, this is no longer a common greeting. This is the saving peace that God makes possible through the, through the death of his son. It's peace with God that Jesus is talking about. It's, peace, it's gospel peace with God. It's, it's, it's about way more than, like, you're, you're afraid of the Jews? You shouldn't be afraid of the Jews. You should be afraid of God. You should fear God. Don't fear man. Fear God. And guess what? He's made peace with man. And he shows them his hands and his side. This is about reconciliation with, between God and man. This is about the peace that a pardoned sinner can receive from Jesus, who alone can bestow this on the other side of his resurrection. The peace of reconciliation to God made possible only by the suffering of Jesus Christ. Like this, this is invested with so much more meaning than, hey, how are you today? Greeting. No, no, Jesus is talking about peace that is life-changing, that is transforming, that, is, that comes th- only through the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection. We're on the other side of the resurrection. My favorite, <laughs> this has got to make the top 10 list on most unexpected verses in John's gospel. Maybe top three. Second half of verse 20. Then the disciples were glad because they saw the Lord. Are you kidding me, John? They're staring at the resurrected Christ. They're definitely glad. It's like the understatement of the week, of the month, of the year. I love this line. Then the disciples were glad. Could you imagine standing in a room that was locked and the resurrected Son of God? Yeah, you would for sure be glad. Like, he's in the room, everything's going to be okay. That's a great scene. Do you live under the fear of failure? As, maybe as a parent? I can, I can, talk, I can talk your language for a minute on that one. As parents... We often live under the fear of failure, and even with our adult children, for years into into our children getting older and older and experiencing life and making decisions, and we just keep rewinding the tape. How come they, why are they doing that? How come, what did we do wrong? Do you live under the fear of failure as a parent? Do you wonder if somehow God will cover your failures as a parent with mercy? Or maybe you're on the other side of it. You're, you're a child growing up in a, quote, Christian home, or a teenager, and, and you're, you're, you're feeling this pressure from your church and from your parents to be a perfect student, an amazing athlete, and a good Christian. Like, it's starting to weigh on you. Let me give you some good news this morning. Are you ready for the good news? You may want to buckle up for this one. You are never going to measure up. That's the good news. 
cheer up. It is a lot worse than you think. Really. You're never going to measure up because the harder you try and the, the tighter you close that gap between 99 and 100%, boom, the, the ruler just expands into micro measurements. And then you close that gap and then boom, the ruler expands again. You'll never measure up. You can't do it. You will never be smart enough. You will never be fast enough. You will never be religious enough. You will never be good enough. And here's the message of the gospel. But Jesus is. He's the hero. He's the only one who could ever perfect you. He's the perfection that you're looking for. The, the story of Christianity and the story of the gospel is that Jesus alone is perfecting us. And we can find absolute freedom in stopping and, and not striving and not chasing and not running. And we can just stop for moment after moment after moment in life and hear these words. Peace, be still. And the wind of my chasing and pursuing and striving is rebuked by Jesus. He rebukes it. And the storm and the waves just like glass. Because you stop caring about everything you can't perfect. And you start caring about who has perfected all of it. And who's worthy. So you and I can start living with freedom and not living under this freedom, uh, under this fear of, of man and the fear of failing. The fear of failure is very real. It doesn't go away. Oh man, by the time you're 50, it'll go away. Guess what? It ain't happening. I'm still having nightmares about my transcripts being illegal. And it doesn't go away. Your fear of failure, there's only one way your fear of failure is going away. When Jesus steps into that locked room where you're wondering, what's he going to say? And you've deserted him. You've given every reason to him to say something other than this. But he says, peace. I've made peace with you. I died in your place on the cross to bring you back to God. So stop trying to perfect yourself. Here's the third thing. Fear of calling. Now, this is really interesting. I did not see this one coming as the text was starting to unfold for me. But drop down to verse 21, 22, 23, and look at this. At first, look at, the, look at verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any. Look at that line. At first, it looks like the apostles have the power to forgive people of their sins. That can't be right. Only God can forgive sins, right? The apostles can't, can't forgive people of their sins. But if we back up and let verse 23 take on its natural context, the context of, of the risen Christ in verse 21, saying, peace, 
peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And if we, if we look at verse 22, where we see the fulfillment of the promise of the Spirit, where, uh, where here in verse 23, he, verse 22, he, he breathes on them the Spirit of God. It's like, it's like a mini Pentecost. It's like the preview to Pentecost, what's going to happen in the book of Acts. Jesus breathes his Spirit on the apostles. He's, there's something happening here. What's going on? They're not the ones who are going to forgive sins. That's not what he means. Here's what's happening. The church is being formed. The new covenant community is being established. The apostles are entrusted with the gospel to spread it to the entire world. Remember, the apostles are the foundation of the church, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2. So verse 23 then is a description of the church, of its authority and responsibility and privilege to take the gospel to all people and to guard the beauty and the power of the gospel with integrity. Jesus wants them to feel the weight of the mission. That's what's happening. He wants them to feel the weight of the mission. If you don't take the grace of God to the people of the world, who's going to do that? If, on the other hand, you will take God, His gospel, His grace, and forgiveness, if you forgive the sins of any, if you, if you take forgiveness to people, they can be forgiven. But if you don't, this is, this is pretty crazy to think about. Jesus entrusted to the 12 the mission of taking the gospel to the whole world. Why did he do that? Because he wants the disciples in the game and because he wants you in the game. Because when you experience God's peace, it's not just for you. It's also for all those that you'll connect, come in contact with and, and talk to and, and the things you love, you talk about. I mean, that just, that just happens. Everybody talks about what they love. And so if you, if you see what's happening here, Jesus is entrusting the love of God and the love of the gospel to them. And, 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 and since this is an absolutely overwhelming responsibility, their calling, their calling is absolutely overwhelming. Because of that, he says, peace. You're going to need peace to resource your understanding of how to go be, the, be this mission, do this mission, live this mission. I mean, there, there's no way you could go do this because if, if you go try to do this in your own strength, it's going to be an epic fail. On the other hand, if you will let my peace resource your life and your soul, you can be a testimony to Christ wherever you are and with whomever you interact. And not only that, not only can peace be at work inside of you so that you will take the mission seriously, but the very thing you offer to people, the very thing that you have to give to people is the gospel of peace. Like they need to be made right with God and they're struggling, they're living in a, they're living, everyone is living in a chaotic, fragmented, broken, distorted world. Guess what they're looking for? They're not looking for more anxiety. I promise you that. They're looking for peace. So there's, there's this sense of calling. And, and Jesus is, is, so I want to make this clear. We are definitely in the context of John's gospel and the sending and the mission of the disciple, disciples. And Jesus is resourcing them to be those who will take the gospel to the whole world. Guess who that includes? Way down the line us. And so to be a disciple is to live in such a way 
that Jesus' peace is spoken into your fear of calling. Like you have a calling. Every single person in this room has, has, has a sense of calling. What I, what I mean by that is that calling, calling broadly speaking, is when God invites you to participate in his work. Calling is about work. God is calling you to work with him in and through your work. So that's what calling is. We say, well, he, most of the time people say, you know, well, something like this. Well, he was going to be in the ministry, but he missed his calling. He was going to be in the ministry. He was going to go do this, or he was going to do that, but I, he missed his calling. Uh, or we jokingly say something like, hey, you know, to somebody who's doing really well, hey, you missed your calling, you know. And that's fine. That's good. That's fun. I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not policing the, the use of the word calling. But here's what calling really means. Calling is God inviting you to participate with him in his work, not sacred or secular distinctions. There's no longer, in, in, in Christianity, there's no longer this sacred calling and then secular world over here. No, all Christians, all Christians begin to live and work in such a way that the gospel comes to bear on their lives, no longer in a sacred and secular distinction, but everything becomes this moment where I'm trying to live in obedience. And so I'm trying to bring the gospel into the workplace. I'm trying to bring the gospel into my work life. So that's why Christians will often say things like this. She, she senses a calling to motherhood. Because motherhood is an amazing, huge task and work. And so often people will speak of the calling of motherhood or, or calling to be a physician or calling to be a missionary or calling to the workplace to bring the kingdom of God and the ethic of Jesus to the workplace. So what I'm saying is calling is where, is where the gospel and your work, whatever it is, and by the way, no, there's no retirement age in the Bible. So people don't retire from Jesus in the Bible. They might retire from one form of work, but they don't retire from all forms of work. It's God calling you to do some other kind of work and for him to meet, you're meeting him rather, in what he wants you to do. So, so calling is about meeting God, bringing the gospel to bear in work life, no matter where that work might be. And that'll make you nervous. Like that's the point. That's what I'm trying to say with point number three. You might fear where your calling's going to take you. Some of you might even be thinking, you know, I, I used to think my goal was six figures. Now I'm thinking my goal is I want to make a difference. I used to think my goal was partner. Now I think my goal is I want to see the gospel change the workplace. That could be risky. You might, you might have this sense of fear. What's that going to look like? Sometimes calling is risky. No. All the time. All the time responding to the way God wants the gospel to intersect with your work life. All the time it's risky. Because there's this sense of, well, what's, what's going to happen? Am I, am I going to do this right? What's God want me to do? And you live in this kind of constant tension of living out your faith. And you want to be a good citizen, and you want to be a faithful follower, and you want to be a good worker. And so calling is risky business. The disciples, no doubt, were wondering, man, how is this all happening? We're afraid. 
And Jesus once again says, peace. So the way that you can apply this to your life this week is to start thinking about work life and even retirement life and really what is it that God is up to in helping you bring, like bring, this, bring the gospel to life in this season of your life. And sometimes that'll be anxiety producing and you might fear, but you can hear the hope of the gospel this morning. Peace be still. There's this last thing I wanna say um, and that is to those of you who might not yet have trusted Christ. Listen to this. The, um, verse 23 says, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, if you will forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, it's withheld. Um, he, he can't, he, he's definitely not exonerating people from personal responsibility as if it's what the disciples decide and not you. That's definitely not how we read that. So what I would say is there's this final fear I want to address. You may be on the edge right now of, you know what, Brother Kerry invited me last week to get all in for Christ. I'm, I'm nervous about it. I'm anxious. I don't know where this is going to go. You would not be alone. I mean, welcome to the club. None of us had any idea where this was going. So if you're afraid to trust, fully trust Christ, to follow him and, and trust him, first of all, you need to know you're not alone. And it's like, it's what happens. But secondly, what else are you going to keep trying? Like, take the risk. Take the risk of trusting in the resurrected Son of God and just see what happens. Because you have been trying everything else. And I'm telling you, you know this already. I don't know why I'm telling you because you already know this. Um, but you're in church, and that's why you go to church, to hear things that you already know. You're, you're out there in this storm, and the, the boat's filling up with water. And you keep bailing, and you keep looking to these other things to help you. And they're coming up short. And they will continue to sink your boat until you hear Jesus and yield, until you yield and trust and say, Jesus, I do, I believe that you are the Son of God. Until you hear him say and embrace and receive these words, peace, be still. Until that happens, the chaos of your life, it's not going away. And the chaos in here is not going away. But it, I, I get it. It's like, I remember in 1986, I'm sitting in a church, I'm listening to this guy say, you should trust in Jesus, and I'm so close to saying, I'm in. But I was afraid. I don't know what was going to happen. I get it. And there's people all over this room who know exactly where you are. We want you to hear the words this morning and embrace the words of Christ. So would you pray with us? And all over the room, there are gonna be believers praying 
for those who have not yet believed in Jesus. And the thing we want to pray this morning, church, is that God would help us to model this peace and that those who have not yet trusted Christ would embrace being reconciled to God. Lord Jesus, the boat's filling up and I'm hopeless. Will you wake up and speak something and wake us up in the midst of it? Peace, be still. Lord, we long for peace. Help us to see the one from whom it comes today. Pray in the strong name of Jesus.